Welcome into another episode of the Young Turks Podcast. Ahmed Kafir and Mason Viner. Ahmed, almost time for the Christmas music, but to Maryland fans, Maryland basketball is our version of it. Terps uh, getting started with a win over, I guess they call it the Mount now, but I'll use their actual name, Mount St. Mary's, Maryland, uh, tops them 68-53 to in the opener. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, it was a uh, good chance. I think a lot of fans were obviously looking forward to this day, one, to just kind of kick off year two of the Kevin Willard era, but then also be able to watch uh, the return of Jameer Young, Julian Reese, yeah, he progresses. And then, of course, the, the debut of the freshman, Sean Harris-Smith, Jamie Kaiser Jr. I uh, got to see a little bit of John Lamoth uh, on Tuesday night as well. But uh, as you mentioned, we're able to uh, coast away with the 15-point uh, win in the last home game for uh, two more weeks. Yeah, so, sort of a strange feeling uh, last night. Just, you know, the season starts. You're used to these long stretches of, you know, kind of home opponents at the level of a – Mount St. Mary's at the level of, you know, th- that that tier CAA type teams that come into uh, Xfinity early in the season. But it almost felt like, you know, you're going to get started. Yeah, the games will be on TV this weekend. But nearly it's like it gets started and it stops because there isn't another game at home for so long. But uh, ultimately, I think the freshmen stole the show last night. Yeah, I think, like you said, I think, you know, the uh, uh, freshman, I think Sean Harris-Smith, I think it's pretty easy for him to, to kind of um, – just go notice, obviously, just being able to record two steals, a block in the first five minutes of the game, uh, finished four from four, four for six from the field. Uh, the lone two misses were from three-point land and um, was able to – I think it was even a one or two plays where the, the – I think it was Julian Reese was called for an offensive foul and DHS was still able to kind of knock out a fluid mid-range, um, even though the basket didn't count. So I think he just – again, he, he, he looked really good as advertised, I think, every – Maryland fan kind of expected him to be that bona fide starter to kind of solidify that backboard alongside Jameer Young, but thought he was able to uh, get a little bit comfortable offensively, obviously ticked off the scoring with that putback around the rim. Uh, but again, it was just kind of defensively for him to kind of leave his mark like that in game one, I thought was probably more impressive. Yeah. And I thought Jamie Kaiser Jr. Also just looked really impressive. Obviously talk about uh, the shape that, DHS and Jamie Kaiser Jr. are in coming into it. They both look like legitimate Big Ten players uh, right off the bat. And again, as advertised, the mid-range game showing, obviously not as many minutes, not as many highlight plays, but overall really, really solid-looking players that that look like they're ready to compete in Big Ten basketball. Yeah, uh, I actually thought to myself when Kaiser, when he hit that first three and he did that little celebration, I wondered, you know, how – because it seemed like he was – Definitely, he was he was ready to pull that out. So um, I think a lot of fans obviously just got excited when, when they see that, just especially for that to be his first shot. Uh, I think a lot of fans kind of look at him, and potentially Noah Batcher to be that guy off the bench, but to really provide Maryland with that perimeter scoring. And obviously did not go well yesterday, finishing 3 of 16 from the field, 1 of 7 in the second half there. Um, but think think Jamie Kaiser, for again, for, for him to kind of kick off uh, his, his career with that um, – Hopefully it's a, a good sign of things to come. Yeah, it sure is. And then down low for the Terps, they they add, you know, quite a bit and and just looked like Julian Reese. Um, again, the body transformation over his time at Maryland and obviously his inside scoring shows. But again, the foul troll, but Maryland uh, with some added depth uh, this year down low. Yeah, and I think, like you said, you know, obviously I think Julian Reese looked just very fluid around the rim, looked very comfortable, confident. Um, you know, the the – the three, or excuse me, the free throw shooting from Reese. I think that's going to be something that was, you know, a little bit of a red flag, a little bit of a concern to see yesterday. 
Um, if you take away his free throw shooting, the team shot uh, 80% from the line, but with Julian, 68%. Julian finished two of seven from the free throw line there. So I think those that's obviously one thing that you kind of hope you get a chance to, to kind of see him um, create more consistency just through non-conference play uh, before Big Ten play, obviously. But um, again, you know, Jordan Geronimo, and only finished with one uh, one shot there, two points. Um, and Willard kind of talked about that post game. You know, that's kind of what he expected. And he mentioned, you know, this is really the first time Maryland's had a full roster. Obviously, Caleb Swanton, Roger, uh, Noah Bachelor, Jahari Long, all those guys back on the court. Um, but you know, Jordan Geronimo just kind of getting getting him to to kind of mesh him and Dante on the floor. Um, when Dante came back, you know, he was a guy that has that ability to play the three just with his inside-out scoring ability and his ball handling. Um, so just kind of maybe creating some of that balance uh, between them, figuring out how to play together. Uh, I mentioned uh, going into the season opener, you know, one thing to watch is just to see how these guys kind of play together on the court, get that feel, get these rotations down, and that's another thing we've talked about. So, um, you know, I think right now Maryland's going to try and figure out how to play together, obviously, and I think this weekend we'll give them a chance to do that. But um, when you mentioned Jordan Geronimo, what, what he's able to do filling in that for that Patrick Emelian role, um, definitely a guy where you're able to kind of see the, the added physicality that he brings, uh, especially on the defensive end there, coming down with five rebounds uh, in 17 minutes. So, um, you know, definitely, definitely some confidence. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was, ended up being Jordan Geronimo who drew the start as that fifth starter uh, over Jamie Kaiser Jr. Yeah, definitely like it. Very physical uh, down low for the Terps. And and they'll need those. They'll need, one, the fouls, the physical play uh, come conference time. To have Scott, to have Geronimo, and to have Reese out there really gives Maryland a legitimate size in the lineup. Obviously, it, it was a as clear as day, a first game of the season, trying the different lineup combos, uh, seeing the bench go so deep. We'll, we'll see over time kind of where – Willard lands, but immediately they roll into a test uh, this weekend in Asheville with Davidson, and then uh, we'll see who the second opponent is, but possibly a power six opponent and, and really an opportunity to see, see where they are early season in the next three games. Yeah, I, I think really the big thing about this weekend, I think Maryland, they, they, they should match up kind of well against Davidson, but again, I think, you know, what, what fans are kind of looking for this weekend, I think the obvious thing is one, you kind of want to be able to find some success and just show signs of being able to, to create some perimeter scoring. I'm um, again, again, 316, you kind of think about, you know, Julian Reese just kind of being able to do what he did inside and the efficiency that he's able to play with. Um, you kind of expect him to, to kind of control the game, but you know, the three point shooting, those are things that you can kind of, you're able to detect uh, regardless of the competition level. So that's one thing that I kind of want to see Maryland be able to, do this weekend just to show that Jamie Kaiser, Noah Bachelor, um, Maddie Traore, who he doesn't, you know, I think his role is going to be a little bit, li- a little bit limited, um, especially by the time conference play rolls around. But he's a guy, you know, he, he looks like he has a pretty smooth stroke as well. Uh, but again, you know, just you know, J- J- Jameer Young, you know, you kind of want some of these guys that are scores to be able to provide that. So I think that's one. But then the uh, biggest thing is again just being able to play two games in three days uh, for for a roster that one has a lot of new pieces trying to play together, figure each other out. And then two, a lot of young guys, uh, I think an early season test like that, you know, for your second and third game to, to have to go into a Friday game, prepare on Saturday, go into a Sunday game. I just think that, that getting into that rhythm um, will, will kind of help them. 
Um, and then, like you said, just being able to play uh, power six opponent and potentially your third game of the season, I think, um, gives Maryland a good barometer to see, you know, just what this team kind of looks like. I think everyone kind of knows what you're expecting from Jameer Young, from Julian Reese, from Dante Scott. Um, but again, just kind of how do, how do the parts come together as a whole? I think that's that's what we it, what we'll be able to see this weekend. Yeah, I think uh, that that covers it. Uh, Terps obviously with some challenging games this weekend, some chances to get. You know, it's never too early to start talking about those quad. I guess these will be probably a three and maybe a one, two. You know, t- meaningful early season wins that go on the resume in March, an opportunity uh, to pick up a pair of them uh, this weekend in Asheville and get some early season hardware. Yeah, and and I think kind of creating some some momentum before that uh, daunting road game at Villanova. I think. Uh, as a chance chance for Maryland as well. Um, so it's uh, it's a like, like you know going to be a weird home slate, but definitely a, definitely a slate that Maryland will be able to test themselves. So we'll see how they how they turn out. Yeah, seeing some uh, like NBA Finals pricing. If uh, for those of you that want to try and uh, pick up some second uh, hand tickets for that Villanova game, they're up above like the three fifty mark uh, right now for next Friday. That's what doing. Uh, Word on the street as they won that game at Wells Fargo. That's what playing that game in a four forty five hundred seat stadium will do uh, for Villanova. But yeah, if you want to get in, not not a cheap ticket next Friday. No, definitely not. But it'll be uh, be a, be a fun one to watch uh, former former Terp Akeem Hart take on his former team. So um, yeah, we, we shall see how it turns out. Yeah, let's uh, flip over to football now. Uh, Maryland heads to Lincoln, their second trip to Nebraska, third conference meeting. Uh, between the two, Ahmed, uh, time for some soul searching for the boys in College Park. Yeah, I mean, this is this is probably probably your most winnable game of the three left. Um, I was a little bit surprised. Obviously, Maryland opened up as a slight favorite on the road, but um, I mean, it's been weeks now since Maryland has won. So September thirtieth was that last win, um, Maryland. I think just kind of needs to be able to get back in that win column, obviously with the huge Michigan game uh, to close out the home slate the weekend after, but just for Maryland to kind of get back uh, into their winning ways. Uh, Maryland has not been able to do well against Nebraska. I think that it's combined 84 to 14 in the two matchups between these two teams. So, um, you know, Maryland will be able to need to figure out a way, especially offensively to, to kind of get it going, but um, it'll, it'll be interesting. I think, I think Maryland does match up. Uh, favorably in some spots. Yeah, and let's start off Matt Rule in his first season in Lincoln. And, and immediately one thing that's shown for Coach Rule and it has shown at every single one of his stops is the ability to quickly turn around the defensive side of the ball. The Huskers have uh, been able to play some defense this year. And look, the, the thing that pops out to me, 28 sacks on the season. Uh, they get after the passer. They stop the run. And, and really a team – that Maryland is going to have to limit the errors again in this Nebraska defense, definitely the strength uh, of what Matt rules got going on. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I don't think there are too many fans that want to remember just how many rushing yards Maryland had against Penn state. Um, it wasn't much, uh, but you kind of look at this Nebraska team and, you know, they sit second in the conference and it's allowing 77 yards uh, on the ground per game. And, um, you know, frankly, you know, Maryland has not been able to uh, create much consistency at all on the ground. Um, and I think this game, you're not really going into it expecting to create that balance. I think what Maryland needs to do is kind of figure out a way to get those skill players, um, the ball in space and the screen ball and the screen phase 
uh, or just getting your, your, your receivers the ball out in the perimeter. I think those are kind of the ways to do it because, again, like we said, you know, this Nebraska defense um, is legit. Lincoln is going to be a tough place to play, and, um, you know, they, they do a good job getting back to the quarterback, Isaac Gifford, uh, Luke Ramier, you know, all the, uh, Jamari Butler, um, all three of those guys, um, integral pieces in that front seven there. So um, Maryland's going to have to figure out, you know, get hats on the, get hats on hats there. And, and um, yeah, I think it, the, the success is going to have to come through the air. Yeah, I, I think that's really the only only thing that you can lean on at this point with this offense. And, and when it matches up against a defense like this, again, a team that ha- has played well in every against every opponent other than Colorado and Michigan. This year, Colorado puts 36 up against them in the second game of the season. Michigan comes back a couple weeks later and puts up only 45. And really for that Wolverines team right now, you know, regardless of all the nonsense that's going on in the background with them, 45 points for them has been, you know, it it took them a while to get started uh, in that game. And and J.J. McCarthy really just took over in the second half of that game and, and started to dominate through the air. Maryland has got to find a way to bring back some of the stuff we found early in the season, the extensions of the running games, the pop passes on the inside, getting lateral movement, um, the inside flip plays to Corey Deitches that we saw early in the season, find ways to extend the running game outside of the screen game. We saw early in, in Loxley's career, a lot of swing motion to get the running backs, the ball out on the edges. Where are some of these plays right now in our play sets is kind of where I'm lost with this team, but I would love to see it come back. I liked the impact that Octavian Smith had on Saturday as far as the offense goes. He's the perfect player for that. Also, I see it you know, down our list, Ahmed, and your keys to the game. Find a way to get Corey Deitches involved, even if it is those inside shoulder passes. Get some of these guys that have been injured some touches early in the game just to feel like they're back somewhat normal in sequence. This is very much a tempo-led offense with a quarterback that gets jittery. I think Loxley's pretty much said that at this point with his comments after the Penn State game. Find a way to find rhythm and use your short passing game to create a sense of normalcy in terms of maybe being able to find something in the running game, but at least getting comfortable um, as far as our quarterbacking goes. Yeah, exactly that. And you you, you mentioned Corey Deitch there, and I just think kind of with with that versatility and that um, that explosiveness that, that Nebraska kind of brings in the front seven, obviously – Maryland didn't do a great job kind of keeping Talia upright last week. And, you know, Cam Lenhart, he was a guy who Maryland ended up finishing second four out of high school. And he was kind of able, he's been able to do a little bit in that front seven as well, just um, getting, you know, being being a disruptive force for that Huskers front seven. But, you know, you think it, you think of Talia, obviously, um, what he's been able to, to kind of do, obviously starting out the game last week with 17 consecutive completions. But, but it's all about, you know, finding a groove. And I think just think Corey Deitches, he's a guy – um, he's a dependable target. I think even with drops um, looming so large in some critical moments uh, for Maryland this year, I think Corey Deitch has kind of been able to prove that he's a, he's that reliable target over the middle. So I think he's a guy that that I think um, can kind of take advantage. But um, again, you know, I mentioned the drops, the, the wide receivers this game, you know, Ty Felton, Deshaun Jones, Keaton Prather, you know, all, all, all three of them um, have had those, those key drops in these critical situations. And, um, you know, I think Nebraska, you know, we'll talk about it, but I think Nebraska offensively is a, is a bit challenged. Uh, so I think if Maryland is able to kind of capitalize on just even one of these plays, I think that could end up being the difference in this one. Um, but then again, you know, you want to look at just kind of being able to, you know, just generate turnovers. Obviously, uh, Nebraska's 
among the worst teams in the country uh, in the turnover margin. Um, and, and, and Nebraska's had 22 turnovers turn into 50 points against them. Um, and you just kind of, again, you look at the last three weeks, you know, what, what has not gone well for Maryland and, you know, the turnover margin has been an error or has been a, a concern in each of those losses. So uh, especially on the road in a hostile environment, expected hostile environment, um, that's where Maryland's going to have to be able to just generate these, these uh, momentum plays. Yeah. And, and that's something when, you know, you reflect back on the past couple of weeks where things have gone wrong, the turnover margins, the, like the, the, the eyesore on the stat sheet, some of these games stat wise, you know, even the Penn state game up until the wheels came off the bus and, and the turnovers came in stat wise, the rushing yards and the turnover, you know, and then it was a turnover margin when it was just the rushing yards, you know, you find yourself down 16, 15, you know, points in, in a game. When you start the turnover margin, that's where you end up losing the game by 40 and 50 points eventually. And, and you spiral into what we've seen in the past. And really right now, our defense is the one that is searching for it. Our, you know, offensive errors are going to happen against good defensive teams, especially when your defense can't generate any sort of momentum plays, whether those be, you know, fourth down stops. We've seen that against now Northwestern, Penn State and Illinois. Um, turnovers, you know, I believe the Illinois game was the last turnover that Maryland has forced. Uh, yeah, believe so. Actually, uh, I don't have that set in front of me off the top, but, um, yeah, Northwestern, there wasn't one and obviously you know, Penn state. Um, yeah, I, I think you hit the nail right on the head, but you I mean, you even look at last week, you kind of, I mean, you know, granted Penn state was still able to con- kind of largely control that, that first mm-hmm. half, but you know, the turnovers, once they started in the second half, that's, that's when the score started running on running up and, you know, Maryland kind of squandered, you know, maybe that brief chance that they had to kind of cut into the lead. So, um, yeah, you know, the, the, the turnovers there, being able to obviously for, for Talia to kind of take care of the football and for the receivers, you know, these, just the, 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 the you know, locks he talked about, Ty Felton, his fumble, uh, being a byproduct of a vice tackle. And, you know, those are tackles that we work on in practice. So, um, just the, the small mental things, I think, um, I, I know it's you know easy to say, but those are really going to be the difference. I mean, if Maryland doesn't have those type of fumbles, those type of plays, um, this is, the type of Nebraska team that you're able to win, but you know that's why chirps versus chirps and, and standard and all that, that that's unfortunately why it exists because if Maryland just does what we expect them and what what, what we what they've shown us through the first half of the season, then um, they should be able to come away with the road win. Yeah, at some point, you know, you really do start to and look, Locks. In all fairness, he said it all the time with his terps versus terps, but it really just is a reflection of however you want to phrase it, looking within. And seeing if you can control the controllable things. And, you know, for Leah, that's not dropping the ball two weeks in a row. I mean, he basically did it again, just dropped the ball when he's opening up to pass, when he's under pressure, dropping his eyes against the rush. Something that, you know, I was, I said when he first started, they looks down at the rush and a lot of people were called me crazy. And now here we are four years into it and the coach is saying it. It's all those little controllable things that, you know, rhythm plays happen, but you almost week over week look at it and you're like the defense somebody needs to come out and make a big play just to change everyone's mindset and with that let's talk about a nebraska offense that probably will give maryland's defense chances to make those big plays a team that loves to run the ball obviously picked up a quarterback that the terps once uh chased after um and start off the season with that and just not necessarily the best team at moving the football on that yeah uh heinrich Har- harberg is, is kind of taking over at quarterback there and he's been uh 
big asset on the run, Anthony Grant, um, another guy that's kind of been able to, to kind of uh, make the, the rushing attack for Nebraska go, um, lead the Big Ten with 186 yards on the ground. Um, this Marcus Satterfield offense, though, is, again, it's not not pretty. The Marcus Satterfield, the former South Carolina offense coordinator, took took the uh, the offensive coordinator job with Nebraska, uh, joined Rule last offseason, and um, again, just the, the passing attack has kind of struggled. I mean, you look at you know if you look at the Big Ten stats, there isn't a Nebraska wideout tight end that sits in the top twenty-five in receptions, receiving yards. Um, you know, vertically they're challenged, um, and I think that's kind of where where Maryland's able to to kind of step up. So um, again, when you kind of look at Maryland and, and kind of slowing down Nebraska, it's going to start with limiting the run, uh, getting hats on hats, and and kind of winning the front seven there. Um, you look at two weeks ago and against Northwestern. You know, Maryland finished with a season high, 16 missed tackles. So, uh, again, that this is kind of that emphasis uh, where Maryland needs to just, you know, once they make contact, uh, bring down either Grant or Heinrich or Heinberg, excuse me. Um, but, again, uh, I think it kind of sits within that front seven in order to um, stop Nebraska, stop Nebraska's rushing attack. And I think if Maryland's able to do so, um, again, this, this Nebraska team might not be able to score a ton. Yeah, you mentioned a passing offense that that struggles 13th in the in the conference on that. They allow a lot of sacks, 24 sacks uh, allowed by the Cornhusker uh, team, 19.9 points per game. And really, everything would be lining up for it to be really easy for Maryland to be favored by, you know, a touchdown or five points. It's on the road. You always have to factor that in. Um, but with everything that's going on right now in the ability to make quarterbacks look great that that we all know aren't necessarily at that level, leaves many people, you know, nationally and locally that cover this team very uninspired. And I think that that might be the case this weekend. There's really nothing that Maryland has done over the past couple of weeks that would make you think that, you know, Herrenberg won't have a career day, won't have almost a game that looks like he's turning the page on his career. What I would like to see in terms of keys to the game is really Glenn Miller playing the nickelback and maybe even Avante Williams getting some chance at the nickelback it's been all season this has been a question mark for us we've talked about in this show repeatedly at this point the best 11 need to play constantly i'm not saying you can't rotate at all that doesn't exist on defense but we saw the five-man front come into play last week with ty j johnson going to the defensive end position i think that needs to remain in order to stop the run and ultimately unfortunately a safety corner hybrid has shown himself to be one of the best pass defenders that this team has. And this is now must win. There is, there's not, I don't think you can really go into this game for Loxie saying that Rutgers is the same old walkover that they've been at the end of the season. Yeah, no, This definitely. really feels like it is the moment for possibly, I'm not going to say Loxley's program because he just got a contract extension, but it sure feels like the fan support of, you know, possibly booing the team against Michigan, you know, starts to come into factor. Everything, the floodgates have opened now. It's it's really up to this team to trust in their coaches, trust in what they've been doing, and come out there and, and show everybody that this isn't the same old Maryland team that that's going to fold and that the standard does mean something. Everything that they've been saying has some sort of meaning to it, and they can show up and win this game. Yeah, I mean, exactly that. I mean, again, I think, you know, that this is um, – I think everyone, you know, kind of looks at the season is, you know, obviously a chance to, you know, win eight, maybe nine games. And, you know, is this a year that Maryland's able to take down one of the Big Ten elites? And obviously, you know, Maryland wasn't able to do that. And, um, you know, the, the last couple of weeks, it, I think it's, 
you know, not just the results, it's it's how they lost. And I think that's kind of why fan support feels I mean, I, I mean, I, I feel it. It feels like it's dwindling um, in half week by week. Um, I know that sounds exaggerated, but it's just kind of um, just feels like kind of everything's continuing to mount negatively against this program right now. And um, when you mentioned, you know, just being able to take on this Nebraska team, uh, Nebraska team that they really have not been competitive with. And I think the 2019 loss, I think that was a little bit concerning because it was year one and, you know, uh, uh, Scott Frost and, and Locks, you know, both in year one, but, you know, now it's year five, you're on the road going into the season. You know, I mentioned, you know, this potentially could be the highest scoring game uh, in the Big Ten this season. And, you know, Nebraska offensively is kind of a goal offensively for Maryland. You know, they have kind of been inconsistent. Um, but again, like you mentioned, you know, this is this weekend is a chance for Maryland to get back on track, to get that sixth win and just right the ship uh, to, to kind of, um, get back in the winning ways and feel that, you know, even though you, you feel like you're doing everything right Monday through Friday, the result isn't coming on Saturday. I think just for Maryland to be able to do that on Saturday, I think that will be a big thing. And, um, and again, you know, going to a bowl game and getting securing that, I think um, will kind of ease some concerns there. And, you know, we can talk about the what ifs and all that after the fact, but uh, again, you know, I think when you look at just what Nebraska presents offensively and defensively, you know, this is this is a team where Maryland matches up well, and sure, you know, Nebraska, their rushing attack, you know, they could magnify some of you know Maryland's um, uh, their 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 shortcomings these last couple of weeks. Some 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 weaknesses that maybe we didn't expect that hadn't come up, they have come up. So I think this is a chance for Maryland to be able to uh, quell those and um, again pick up that sixth win that fans thought they'd see about a month ago. Yeah, speaking of that, all that being said, the Terps still a two-and-a-half-point favorite across the board over under set at 44. Uh, Ahmed, your prediction? Yeah, don't me. Nebraska uh, with plus 2.5. Um, I just think I think Nebraska at home, I think it, that's kind of the difference. But uh, I'm going to go slightly over that over-under. Uh, I know it went under last week, and then Penn State almost hit the over by themselves. So, yeah. Uh, Really appreciate that, James Franklin. But um, again, you know, I, I just think um, I think I'm kind of in that boat where, where Maryland's going to have to prove it. Um, and again, you know, Maryland they do match up well, but just going to need to see this Maryland team needs to need to pull out the win. Um, and uh, again, you know, if, if they're able to do that, then they're they're able to, to to reinforce that maybe this Maryland team is getting back to what they what we thought they were beginning beginning of the season. Yeah, call me a man uh, that lacks logic, but the white Terps helmets are back, and, and that's got me picking Maryland. This game is a – it belongs on Peacock. I'll put it that way. This is not <laughs> a game that I think many people will really want to watch. Um, I'm taking the over, too. I just don't believe in Maryland's defense. Honestly, Nebraska, this game might be like 7-3 to three going into yeah. somewhere like in the middle of the third quarter. And then I just see somehow both teams playing awful, but it amounting to many points similar to a late season NFL game between two teams that have like three wins. Th that's what we're going to see. But one team will walk away bowl eligible. Yeah, it's uh, you got to got to kind of respect Matt Rule. Obviously, kind of you know the, the season didn't start out well for them, and then they're able to you know before that Michigan State lost last week, winners of the last three, winners of the five, the last six. So um, definitely. I'm not going to say it should be an exciting game, but it should be an interesting game. Yeah, and and I think, you know, you mentioned the environment, and I wouldn't be surprised 
look, I was at Nebraska the last time Maryland played there, and that was like the end of, of the Mike Riley Nebraska era. Uh, Maryland was coming in. Max Bortenschlager got his first start as the Maryland quarterback that day. And it wasn't necessarily loud, but there were certainly 85,000 people in that stadium. And it does get loud when they make big plays. You just have to remember going into this, this program was in a bad spot. Rule is now one, you know, started to stack wins up. There's a lot of excitement there. Given that they've had to reduce the capacity of the stadium or they just announced a project to do that to maintain their sellout streak, still one of the tougher places to play in this uh, country and still would be a good win for Maryland as a program to say, hey, we went to Nebraska and won a game. That still means a lot to a lot of people that watched football in the 80s, the 90s, into the early 2000s. I mean, that's still a it's still a box that Maryland has yet to check. And the last time we played this team, you have to remember the score is 54 to three on our field and they were four and eight that year, I believe. And we were three yeah. and nine. So still, yeah. you know, you got to take the opportunities where, when you get them to, to go into these places and win games on the road, we haven't proven that we haven't been able to do that. So maybe we're right the ship this weekend. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I uh, definitely, you mentioned uh, just Nebraska, uh, just, you know, Maryland historically being a program like Nebraska, I think that'd be cool. And, um, yeah, uh, again, just picking up that first win, picking up that win in Lincoln Memorial Stadium, I think, um, would would be big, but obviously just, just a much-needed win uh, before these last two games of the regular season. Yeah, let's go inside the bag. Uh, we're going to change our recruiting segment name back over to what I used to be our recruiting show, which is inside the bag. So, yeah. Ahmed, let's go inside the bag. We'll start it off. The news that everybody wants to hear what is going on with Derek Queen. Yeah, today was obviously day one of the early signing period. Um, obviously, ever since that uh, Maryland official visit in late October, um, that was expected to be the last visit, and him and his camp were expected to kind of bunker down and decide. Um, a lot of people were kind of looking at this day, uh, obviously with Montverde, uh, obviously their players signing in their NLIs uh, on the first day possible. Some kind of expected or maybe – this day as as the day that Derek Queen would probably formally announce or there there would be some clarity but Wednesday has almost come and gone now um there's still um no certainty as to when he will officially uh sign uh, whether there's a commitment ceremony whatnot that's still all very much fluid um and Maryland still remains in that picture obviously uh just battling Indiana Houston and, and Kansas are in rounding out that top group uh, but until then, you know, it still remains a waiting great, a waiting game. Um, you know, it seems like there's a lot of buzz, a lot of talk that you know Maryland's kind of the team that is m- most maybe best positioned, just kind of with everything, the way that they've been recruiting um, Willard's emphasis on kind of connecting with with Queens Camp um, and the, the the proximity to home. Maryland's done a really good job, obviously, with their Queen, um, his relationships uh, with people within the program, but. Um, Indiana, it seems like is the, the school that's doing everything they can in the eleventh hour uh, to just you know give themselves one last chance or, or try and turn the tide. Um, so until then, it is status quo. But um, again, it posted aside our update on the, inside the ba- uh, inside the black and gold. Um, the the expectation still remains coming out of Wednesday that Queen does pull the trigger that he does ultimately do sign in the early signing period. So um, again, now we just Wait to see when that is. Yeah, I mean, I heard a similar last night um, at Xfinity. Just, you know, obviously it's a topic that everybody wants to hear about. Is Maryland's competitive in every way in this recruiting battle? It is a battle. Indiana is really trying to come in at the 11th hour. And 
there's a lot of people kind of that give you the shrug of the shoulders with this one. Just like they don't really know when it's coming. It's coming. The expectation, like as, as you had in your VIP notes, is it's sometime in this early signing window. Yeah. Um, unless a something really affects it, like a suitor kind of comes out of nowhere that really had throws their name in the hat that's worthwhile. But that seems unlikely at this point. Maryland's competitive across the board in terms of everything that goes into this and is, you know, definitely spent the time building the relationship over yeah. years now. It's a matter of when, and it's kind of a nobody knows exactly where the kid's head's at, but he's got a lot of great, great opportunities for him. And at this point, you know, NIL wise can't make a poor decision. And now it's really comes down to where he wants to play basketball. Yeah, exactly that. I think, you know, Maryland, from their perspective, they kind of checked every single box and, you know, that when, you know, I, I posted this a couple of times and really felt like ever since Kevin Willard arrived as the head coach at Maryland, it felt like Garrett Queen and getting him and like that felt like obviously it was always a top priority. And obviously, you know, you look at Deshaun Harris-Smith, he was a signature and I think, the, you know, I think every fan ex- expects him when all said and done to be that impact signee for Maryland, um, that impact player for Maryland. Jimmy Geyser is another guy, but it feels like Derek Queen has been the guy. You know, Jameer Young, Maryland was able to get him out of the transfer portal, and that was, you know, the first big splash for Kevin Willer. But just Derek Queen has always been kind of the, the a, a top priority for Maryland. And, you know, obviously when Maryland went through the coaching transition in the spring with losing Tavon Sadler and most importantly losing Tony Skin, they did a really good job, obviously just had great – connections, ties um, into St. Francis, into uh, Team Thrill. Um, so just Maryland's done a really good job kind of making sure that there was no real drop-off. Uh, David Cox, I mean, it was a collective effort, but obviously David Cox leading. Um, but again, I, I'd heard from uh, from Queens Camp a couple of times that Kevin Willard, um, his consistency, especially with mom, uh, really resonated. So um, like you said, Mason, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a waiting game to see when he announces, and, and until then, there's nothing that Maryland is going to say or do anything differently. And um, it seems like it's kind of Maryland, Indiana, even though, you know, Queen has that top four with uh, Houston, Kansas rounding out uh, his top group as well. So, uh, again, we shall see when he officially pulls the trigger. Yeah, flipping it over to football, Ahmed, another week, another offensive line decommit, but Terps possibly with some good news on the way in terms of their O-line. Yeah, I mean, Samir, Samir Kamacha, I mentioned this uh, after Donovan Thompson, the Georgia tackle after he decommitted as well. But I um, think that this both sides are going to be okay on this. Uh, Camacho committed to Maryland uh, over Duke, uh, UTSA in the spring, or excuse me, uh, in the summer, uh, went public in late August. Um, and I, I will say, I mean, there were a couple of comments that I heard that it kind of made me seem like, was kind of unserved. Camacho was even going to sign at Maryland. And if he did sign at Maryland, I'm not sure if he was going to make it for a full season at Maryland. So I think Maryland uh, on that front is going to be okay. Uh, but it is the second offensive lineman um, to technically decommit uh, these last couple of weeks. But um, I, I expect Maryland to, to kind of get some news. Um, could be as soon as tonight, could be as soon as tomorrow, could be potentially next week. But uh, I expect Maryland to be able to rebound uh, with another local target. Uh, at the same position. So um, offensive line continues to be a big focus for Maryland this cycle. Uh, have six linemen currently committed, Therese Davis, Ryan Howerton. Um, those guys lead the way. Um, might have an update on Therese Davis later this week uh, as well. But um, definitely, I think Maryland I think Maryland will ultimately sign the, the guys that they have committed. I think they'll, they'll be able to, to hang on and, and sign the guys they want to. 
Yeah, and you can always hear those things. First, if you're a subscriber on InsideTheBlackAndGold.net, Ahmed always keeps uh, Inside the Bag going nonstop on InsideTheBlackAndGold.net. He's got all of the updates uh, on there. Ahmed, anything else to add on the pod tonight? You know, I said it last week, Mason. It would be really cool to cover a win this weekend, so I, I think Maryland should just do that. Yeah, I, I certainly will agree with you there. Uh, post-game pod, as always, after the game on Saturday, which is noon here on Peacock. Uh, Terps obviously playing their first game on Peacock, as I so gracefully mentioned earlier in, in the podcast. Um, as always, like this show. If you like it, subscribe to us wherever you get it. And thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.